is nothing better than the feel of pen on paper. That little bit of resistance pushing back at me as I save my thoughts in a notebook. For years, I've looked to replicate that feeling on an iPad. But it's never really been the same, at least until I discovered Paperlike. The surface of the Paperlike is coated using nanodots, tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. These foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. Every Paperlike comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare in case you need to replace it. Within a few weeks of applying Paperlike to my iPad Pro, my Apple Pencil is getting more use than ever. Taking notes, journaling, tapping through show notes, you name it. I feel like I'm realizing the true potential of the touchscreen without sacrificing my love of pen and paper. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com BGA, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. Podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 410, BGD Hotness for February 2023. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backer, Matthew, for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back. And again, we are talking about the latest and the greatest in board gaming. And in particular, this episode for our feature review, we are talking about the super hotness because, Anthony, it is cold outside and there's nothing warmer than a bunch of board games by the fire. Not in the fire. Be careful about fire. Fire's bad. Ooh, man, that was, that was tricky there, yeah. <laughs> um, are, we, are we burning stuff today? What are we doing? Uh, Ooh, no. we might be. We have a couple of games that we're going to be talking about in this episode. And maybe, possibly, there's a little singeing at one of the corners of one of them. Just saying. Just yeah, yeah. spoiler alert. Could that's, be a that's thing. True. I was like, for a second there, I'm like, are we burning? I don't think we are. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will be some singeing. We might be um, burning a game. <laughs> get yeah, their have... hopes up. We're not burning a game. <laughs> we might be burning a game. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, two games on this episode. Again, Mosaic and Woodcraft. So stick around because we'll talk about those. I guess maybe Woodcraft would probably be the most. Mm, it's very flammable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It might, might happen. It could happen there. You know, it's a thing. So, yeah, there's so much going on. Again, thank you all for joining us. We're having so much fun out there. Again, Board Game Academics, we are reaching out to everyone. Let people know that we're looking for your submissions for our upcoming online journal talking about board gaming. Thank you all the people who've reached out and said hello. We want to get this out to as many people as possible so that we can get board gaming into education, in particular higher education, and talk about, about the great hobby that we all share and enjoy. So that's a lot of stuff that's going out there, Anthony. But that's not all that's going on with BGA. What's happening? Yeah, so uh, if if you're on the Patreon, you know. But if you're not, you should check it out because uh, we got a lot of great content going up there. Um, 
this last week, I posted my top 10 games of 2022 as a bonus episode. Uh, you can also read the article on the website, but if you want to hear it in the car or on the treadmill, I got you covered. Uh, and uh, this coming week, Chris, I know you have uh, something else coming up for us, right? Yeah, Jen and I are going to be talking about board game characters. This is one of the fun conceptual ideas about board games. If you take a look at a board game cover, if you take a look at board game characters, we all have favorites. It's not just movies and TVs, cartoons and anime, manga programming, comics. It's about the characters in the games and how we identify, how we connect with them, how we root for them, and how we choose them to play in our games. Awesome. Yeah, so check that out. Those go up on Fridays. Uh, and the there's like 30 or 40 bonus episodes. I'm going to say up on the uh, higher end, on around 40. Um, bonus episodes going back several years. So you can go back and you can listen to all sorts of great stuff. And uh, we're going to be posting these every week or two. Um, we also had our first game night on Board Game Arena last week. So thanks to everybody who joined. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, if you are interested in joining us for game nights, you just need to you know, reach out back at the, I believe the, uh, it's like a digital at the table level. I think that's what I named it. Um, and you can become part of our regular game nights. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's Patreon is an awesome place to be. We, we try to put as much content up as we can. We're having these contests every week. We have new episodes, new content going out. You get all these free episodes that we do regularly early and without the ads uh, if you're interested in that so you know yeah come on and crush your favorite podcasters in a board game just saying yeah <laughs> that's where we are <laughs> and we have some new and interesting stuff coming up to add to the patreon so keep up with us because i think you're gonna be surprised with some of the updates all right anthony so that's what's going on with us let's look at what's going on with all our friends out there what's our question of the week Question of the week this week, uh, and, you know, we're talking about new games, we're talking about hotness. There's a bunch of two in particular, which we're going to talk about today, that kind of jumped straight to the top of the hotness. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff, though, too, that people are very excited about for 2023. So I asked, what is the game you are most excited to play this year and why? Kickstarter or retail? So not necessarily final retail release, but just a game you will receive and be able to play. Um so we got several good answers here. Uh, again, if you are a Patreon backer at any level, you can answer the question over on patreon.com slash BGA, and you will be then entered into uh, our weekly contest. Um, and so a few people mentioned Castles of Burgundy. Uh, Tom says all those fancy bits because I like fancy bits. Me too, Tom. I spent all the money for the fancy bits. Uh, Antoine mentions... Lots of games interested in playing for 2023. Anunnaki, Fractal Beyond the Void, John Company, Woodcraft, Weather Machine. Um, but then says, after hearing Anthony tell so much about the genre in the podcast, I made the jump and backed 18xx Chikoku 1889. So yes, Antoine, I'm also no, excited for No, don't do it. Don't do it, man. <laughs> it's a good one. It's shorter. Okay. It's accessible. I tried to get you to play it. I had it. I was carrying it around with me. <laughs> 2020 sure we just couldn't get the people to the table yeah one day it'll happen yeah. yeah uh drew says war of the ring the card game uh war of the ring perhaps my favorite game excited to play this team experience at bga's 2022 game of the year it is our game of the year you should play it it's really it's amazing and again you don't have to be a lord of the rings fan it's just a very good game 
Yes. Um, Peter says Marrakesh from Stefan Feld. Looks great. It's a Feld, so what's not to like? And most importantly, a friend already purchased the deluxe version. So I don't have to spend all the monies for all the fiddly bits. It would um, be nice to play that. Yeah. If only I had backed it. Wait, I did. Yeah, I <laughs> and, didn't, so I'm playing yours. And it's still not here. <laughs> yeah, it's getting there, right? They're working on it. Sure. <laughs> they say they're working on it. It's They're shipping them. They're walking um, it over. Yeah, they're walking it over. From Europe. They're, they're, just, they're taking a long walk. Yeah, they're like, you gave us $700. Well, we're going to just bring it to you personally. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, they, have a little, they have a little team. Frodo and Sam are walking it over. It'll, it'll get here eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, hopefully they don't throw it in the volcano when they get here. Ah, uh, see? Then the game's, that game would be a burn then. Just That's saying. true. That's true. <laughs> um, all right. So next up, over on Facebook, again, if and those are our Patreon backers. So thank you again to everybody who backed, um, who, who left a message. Uh, but we have a bunch of other people giving us answers on Facebook. Uh dot com slash poor gamers anonymous um brant says frost haven david says skyrise scholars of the south tigris and hollywood 1947 um aaron mentions the isafarian guard so that one looks pretty interesting um kenny says star wars queen's gambit oh yes and he has a copy just hasn't played it yet what are you doing? Play that. Play it now. Let me play it. Come on, come on. I want to play it. Gotta play it. Oh, man. Um, Scott says Madeira Collector's Edition. The oh, project looked go. like it was dead, but now seems likely to fulfill almost four years later. <laughs> you say that, Scott, but... <laughs> Scott, don't play with her emotions here. We, yeah. we, 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 we both backed it, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. That's... Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Exactly. And I think it's funny they got a new media guy to to kind of give the updates. Yeah, and he he makes the tragic error of trying to be like wacky and sarcastic and like funny. We're out of jokes, my friend. It's been four years. Like, just just deliver the game. That's all we're yeah. saying. Like, <laughs> just logistical updates and nothing else. That's it. No jokes. No jokes. We we don't need. I'm just like he opens with like, oh, you're not getting your games. I'm like. Yeah, not the time, bro. Read yeah. the room. Read the room. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> um, all right. A few other games that people threw in here that are not four years overdue. Um, <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> our new backer, he says the Mosaic expansion. Uh, agreed. I didn't know it had an expansion. Oh, no. After we played it last week, and I was like, oh, cool. I got to go track that down. Um, has it has it shipped yet? It's a Kickstarter. But oh, okay. I'll be getting it. Uh, Horseless Carriage. Which is stuck in Fun Again right now. <laughs> so that's a whole thing we didn't cover on the news, but Fun Again Games is shutting down for good forever mm -hmm. uh, in March. And they've said that they will deliver all the things that they're in fulfillment for them. Ooh. But there's a lot of things in fulfillment. And all those companies are being like, well, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Horseless Carriage is among them. So I'm hopeful I get my copy before they shut down. <laughs> it's out there somewhere. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see what else we got we got Voidfall, Arena the Contest Teneris sure. Adventures yep. um, we have uh, Banchakua Final okay. Girl Season 2 um, Kenny here at the end and we'll talk about this later says can I change my answer to the Scythe sequel oh yeah which I think probably jumped up to the top of a lot of people's lists sure um, and just so I don't forget them because over on Discord we asked the same question um, we had a few people answer there. 
Uh, Ladre mentions Distilled. The theme got me, and most of the gameplay looks solid. I'm holding out hope that the push-your-luck element works well. Um, Enoch mentions Earthborn Rangers, open-world narrative card game. Um, and Control Shift Home mentions Imperium Horizons, but then notes that may not come out this year, and Horseless Carriage. Um, also says, looking forward to playing stuff I've had for a while, but not played, like Democker, Tribune, Pericles, and some 18xx stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of people mention that, because I didn't spe- specify it had to be a new game. Like, I have a bunch of old stuff I'd like to play. Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now that you mention it, there's a few games sitting around here that are still in shrink wrap. Yeah. All yeah, right. So, so lots, that's lots everything. of good stuff. And um, again, we have uh, our contest. So, uh, I, based on everybody's answers, and I, I feel like we have a lot of really good ones this, this week. We had like, a, I think, 30 or 40 games mentioned uh, people are looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, because so many people agreed with them, and we got a lot of good answers around it, uh, Corey is our winner this week. Uh, mentioned Castles of Burgundy. Uh, so the first th- mention. There you go. Sweet. Well, we hope you enjoy that, because I think that's going to be a great game, and congratulations. All right, everyone. So that's everything that's happening with our friends out there talking about games. If you'd like to hit us up again, Anthony mentioned Patreon, our Discord channel, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't know. There's so many social media challenges these days. Or if you find us on the street, just walk up to us and tell us a thing. Because that, that happens to every once in a while. Yeah. All right, everyone. So that's what's happening with us out there. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kick things off here. We have Andromeda's Edge, which is right at the top now of the board game geek hotness. Uh, this is a game that for whatever reason, I didn't know existed until we went to PAX and we saw the copy there and someone's like, it's Dwellings of Eldervale in space. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> That's cool. Um, so I've been following the campaign since then and it launched here in the last week. Um, they're definitely backing. They're up around a million bucks mm-hmm. um, with 20 days left. So should be fine. On yeah. GameFound. Yeah, that's important. Um, it's, it's a funny campaign. So we could get into the campaign and all the weird nonsense they're doing. But the game itself is, is really what I'm most interested in. You know? Sure. Like Dwellings of Eldervale, it's a worker placement tableau engine building game. Um, asymmetrical factions, get some area control elements. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're in space. So instead of wizards running around fighting various monsters, you are going into space and dealing with all the many wonderful things that happen in space. Um, so you've got this... As is the the theme these days, everything's very dark, but then neon on top of that. Um, so <laughs> pastel very, neon, pastel neon, very colorful, um, which is good. I actually like that aesthetic. I think it's cool. You don't it's like a, it? It's a little too too. Okay. I don't mind it. I get it because you have a a space black background. The colors are a little too pastel for me, but I, I have I haven't really played with it on the table yet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I guess everybody's got a different aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just gives me like a, a Guardians vibe, you know, like a, a cosmic Marvel cosmic vibe. Mm. Um, but the the thing about Dwellings of Eldervale that I love so much is that it looks like a dudes on a map game, and to some degree, it plays like a dudes on a map game. But it's really not purely that. It's a Euro, right? Sure. It's it's using those mechanics as a way to engage and help you build that engine and do those things you're trying to do. Um, and I so think this is... explicitly they they talk about this as being more Euro yeah. than Dwellings of Elderville. 
Yeah, which is exciting because yeah. I love Dwellings of Elder Vale. Since I played it over a year ago, I've been trying to find a copy. And Same. Don't want to spend three hundred dollars on eBay. Same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, this coming out, I'm like, oh, now I don't have to get that. I can just get this because I like the theme mm-hmm. and it's got more stuff. And they made it more Euroe, which is yes. great for me. And they updated um, the tracks. I think we talked about this too. It's it's a Terra Mystica to the Gaia Project mm-hmm. kind of transition. So it's like, hey, here's a whole fantasy genre that you love, amazing artwork, and now here's a sci-fi theme, less on the artwork side because it's space, but more, better tracks and more Euro. Um, probably won't get as much attention just because I think the fantasy genre is just more ingrained yeah. in the popular consciousness. But also, you know, more better upgraded kind of gameplay. I mean, we hope. We haven't seen it yet, but, you know. All this is true. Yeah, we, yes. we did not personally get a chance to demo it at PAX. We, we tried. Just, we hovered nearby for We hovered, we bribed, we, you know, awkwardly stood, you know, at a distance, a respectful distance. But, yes. yeah. <laughs> and it, we weren't creepy, I swear. No, you don't want to be that guy at a board game table where like someone's down your neck and you're like, "What are you doing with that thing?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, this is a game that I'm super excited about. They yes. the campaign itself, they have a regular version, standard edition, mm-hmm. um, which is only sixty nine dollars. But Great. as you can imagine, it's it's pared back quite a bit. Sure, because that's what they do. Um, the deluxe edition is one hundred and twenty nine, and has all the things. <laughs> Um, except it doesn't have all the things because there's an all-in pledge that's 189 what? so i know uh so that's that's the deluxe edition plus the expansion plus all the add-ons that are available in the game that you can buy which, ouch you know there's a bunch of additional stuff like they're gonna wash the miniatures there's module expansions there's wooden moons okay um card sleeves and then there's this weird one that gave me a headache for a couple days. The Ancient Brain Raider. Um, it's a $10 add-on, but you get it for free if you complete these puzzles that they've posted. The puzzles are a little nonsensical because yeah. they don't actually give you instructions on how to complete them. You have to go into the Discord and find the hints. <laughs> it's, it's very complicated. Um, and then I went through and did all that until I realized that the all-in pledge, you don't have to do that. They just give you the thing. So. Sure. Uh, but I'm very excited because uh, I love Dwellings of Eldervale. I've been wanting to play it more, just never could find a copy. I yes. love space games. I can now add this alongside my Twilight Imperium and my Eclipse and my uh, Black Angel and just have like a, a very colorful space <laughs> game collection that all take eight hours to play. Um, it is very Black Angel color aesthetic. It is, yeah. yeah. I, like, I like it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's up on Kickstarter or GameFound, sorry, for another yes. like three weeks from when we record this. Yeah, you definitely have time, and it looks super good. Yeah, it'll be interesting that to to actually get this to the table, and they're I guess more or less predicting June two thousand twenty four, which right. you never know these days, especially with you know shipping. But it'll be interesting because this could be somewhat of a contender to Eclipse and Twilight Imperium and. Like you mentioned, some of the other kind of big games like that, and I don't. I think because of the limited qual, you know, quantity of dwellings of Eldervale, it just it was it just hit very big. People were really happy about it, and then it just kind of disappeared because it just they never had the production for it. So, right. uh, yeah, this is pretty nifty. I backed it too, so 
Double back. Woo, we both have copies. I think that's a really high level when someone <laughs> double back. Like, who do you play? We play together. We both own this because reasons? Reasons, yeah. right? Reasons. I'll play it solo once or twice. That'll justify the cost. Maybe. Sure. I don't sure. know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. All right. So let's talk about one of the upcoming games that I think some of us were surprised about. Uh, this is Expeditions. This is a spiritual successor to Scythe. This is from Jamie Stegmeier, and it features all the artwork and, I guess, story mode from Scythe. It's uh, your traditional medium-weight Euro 1-5 players. This is a base game. It does not require you to play Scythe. This is a completely separate game in and of itself. It is a competitive, car-driven, engine-building game of exploration. So it is different as far as mechanically concerned. This is not an area control game, so to speak. Uh, you play cards to gain power, guile, and give you unique worker abilities. You move mechs. Sounds very familiar to Scythe. And then you explore mysterious locations, because again, this is all about the exploration part of it here. I'm sure there's a lot of kind of secrets and things that will pop up. And then as you move out, you're able to upgrade and enhance your tableau. So basically the game is all based around your own baseboard and you have one of these five different mechs that are available to you. You have one miniature, not four as, as, as Scythe is concerned, because it's, again, it's just about exploration. So basically they took that psych kind of mechanic where it's just like moving your mechs as quickly as possible to the locations to get those cards that have a little thematic appeal and bonus and they just kind of like cut that out and made it its own game so there's some corruption that goes along with here because again the whole story here about this meteorite that lands on their lands in siberia and and it's good it's bad it's dangerous it's, it's problematic so to speak but it looks like a really interesting game there's a there's a trailer to, to you know check out it's all of the somewhat original characters along with their animal companions that you put into play and then you're venturing amongst you know large hexes on the board so nice you can actually pre-order it uh there is limited quantities on stonemeyer games but it's definitely something to check out and maybe even pick up yeah it was uh i don't know like scythe has definitely fallen off for me like i i liked sure. it early and i just i haven't played it honestly i haven't played it in years at this point Mm-hmm. Um, but this does look interesting, you know, yes. it's, it, it's different. It seems like it's going to be different mechanically, but it also seems like it's a little more streamlined in terms of scope, right? Sure. It's not quite as big and sprawling of a game. I don't know that. I haven't seen it in action yet. Um, but I am interested in playing it. Like when I got the email, I opened it up, I watched the stuff, I, I read through it. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Like I'm always interested in Stegmeier's games, mm-hmm. even if I don't like all of them. Um, so I'm excited to see this. Yeah, he's going back to some of the, the true basics. I think he's had a couple of rough games come out over the yeah. last, you know, couple of years. He's kind of dropped off a little bit as far as, like, the big hits because he was just known for hit after hit after hit. And then it just kind of dropped off heavy and makes sense to go back to what works. So yeah. the mechanic of exploring the board, flipping over the cards, managing the positives and negatives you know, building up your own particular character faction is a tried and true mechanic. So, yeah, I'm, li- I'm really looking forward to this. I'm not sure if I'll... Mm, I don't know. This is also the problem with, with Stonemeyer games is they typically are such limited qu- quantity 
that just like it's wingspan and, so, and several of those other games if you don't get it early you might have to wait quite some time until it actually gets out yeah i mean he's he's been going around telling everybody that they're making a lot like the goal is for it to last through july but they just they sell a lot so they sell knows? a lot yeah i think i think all of his recent games have been just hard to come by more or less yeah yeah like that that big box for wingspan i know sold out in like 10 minutes and it's been sold yeah. out ever since yeah, and this is Scythe, so I think yeah. it has a, a long train to it. But I'm happy that it's not one of those kind of like founders of Scythe kind of <laughs> where it's just like, hey, we're using the name but not the mechanics. Like, no, there there is a substantial portion of this game that is something you've played with on some level. Yeah, yeah, an actual sequel, not just, you know, adjacent <laughs> using the name. Absolutely. All right, everyone. So that's the games that we're looking forward to getting to the table. Now the games that actually hit the table and are at the table. And we'll let you know if those games should be a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them. Or, in fact, those games are the dreaded burn and just don't want to get anywhere near that. So, Anthony, we played games together, which explains somewhat of the audio quality from last week's episode right <laughs> yeah no we 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 booked uh an airbnb out in the middle of jersey like halfway between us and we got together for a weekend of gaming um, which means we recorded the podcast in just you know a random bedroom which uh creates audio quality issues um the there's a bunch of stuff we got to the table the two games we're going to talk about today we played together so uh, you know i'm going to run through the rules then we'll discuss them um but it was it was fun because it's fun to just get a chance to sit down and play bigger, longer stuff that doesn't require a big, you know, extensive amount of space and time and all that extra stuff. So it's good. Yeah. So first up, yeah, first up we got Mosaic: A Story of Civilization. This is a game that several listeners um, had recommended, and uh, it, it's one that. You know, I went out and picked up a copy based on those recommendations. I love Civilization games, so I just wanted to, you know, make sure I got them to the table. Um, and we did. Uh, it's designed by Glenn Drover. Uh, it's for Forbidden Games. It was on Kickstarter a couple years ago, and I got the retail copy. Um, and so Glenn Drover has a long history of making similar types of games. He made Age of Empires 3, Railways of the World, Sid Meier's Civilization, the first one, um, back in 2002. And so this is his attempt in 2022 to kind of revisit that well and make another Civ game. Um, the game itself is fairly straightforward mechanically. That doesn't mean it's simple. Like weight-wise, it's it's solidly in the middle. But the actual rules of the game are fairly straightforward, right? It's action selection. On your turn, there are seven available actions. You will take one of those actions, and then you will try to score the most points by the end of the game. Um, there are multiple decks of cards. Uh, each of them has you know, this Empire scoring card mixed into that, and these are going to kind of break up the game at certain points. You'll score based on your area control of the map. Um, but what you'll be doing is you'll be building out technologies, you will be building cities and projects, um, you will be growing your population, you can tax and tariff, take money, you can build military units, um, then there are all sorts of additional like bonuses you can pick up, right? So there's a bunch of achievements that are available from the start of the game. Uh, when you reach just certain thresholds, like the first person to 12 tariff level and the first person to 15 stone production. Um, 
There are the Golden Age tiles, which relate to these icons that are at the bottom of each of your building and project cards. Um, I'm sorry, the technology cards as well. So these will, they're important for being able to access future technologies. You need to have a certain number of icons, but also once you reach a certain number of icons, if you have six green icons, you can claim the Golden Age tile for that. And that's six points and often like some special bonus ability. Um, there's also wonders you can build. Um, this is a separate action you can take. They're very expensive, but you get to mid game and you can start to afford them. Um, there are eight of them available in the game. Um, and then those allow you to just place on the map. They give you some kind of bonus or some amount of points. Um, you each start with your own asymmetrical leader and you start with a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm used to like Civ games, you kind of start with your one little city in the corner and you have to build up and it's a bit of a slow go to get going. This game, they're like, nah, you start with a bunch of resources, some production, five technologies already on the table, all sorts of stuff. Like those first Golden Age tiles that in and achievements got grabbed in the first round of the game because people had so much stuff to start with. So you can kind of streamline your way out because you're going to draft those cards when you get going. Um, the flow of the game, though, is fairly smooth, I would say, because on your turn, you know, you have to pick one of those seven actions, but there are usually two or three areas you're going to be focusing on. Um, you want to make sure you have enough stuff out on the map to control different areas, because that's how you're going to score at the Empire Scoring. But you don't have to strictly do that. If you don't want to be, like, map guy, you can do something else. You can score through technologies and projects and focus on all those icons. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do to, to kind of get uh, the points that you're looking for. Uh, so overall, um, I, I found this game to be interesting for a Civ game because, you know, when you hear Civ game, you're, you're used to thinking like 4X, like all of, all of the things that go along with that. You're expanding, you're fighting a lot more. The military doesn't really do much here. Like, your cities and your wonders and your towns give you influence on the map. If you have the most influence, you get points for that region. That's it. The military gives you more influence. Sometimes it lets you remove other military units if you get the right tech card, but that's about it. There are no, there are no fights, right? Like, you, you draw a card, it kills other units, that's it. Um, so it's not, it's not a 4X game at all, really. Like So if you're going into it thinking of that, then you'll be disappointed. Um, it is definitely more of, you know, like action selection, uh, tableau management type of game where you're trying to build up the right tech combo and use that to generate points as efficiently as possible. Um, it's certainly a lot longer than I thought it would be. Uh, it played pretty long. The setup is incredibly long because uh, there's so much stuff to put on the table. You have to cover every hex on the board with an icon because when you build stuff on the map, there are all these icons out there. There's trade goods that you can pick up that are used for scoring purposes. Um, there's these caches of goods you can pick up that are just like things to have. So you have to put them all out. And there's like 150 of them you have to put out. It takes a while. Um, all these decks of cards you have to shuffle and seed. You know, it's a weird complaint, but it did take like 30, 40 minutes to set up the game, which it's not Twilight Imperium. It's not an eight hour experience. We were going to play other games that day. So it's just like, this is taking a long time. <laughs> And we don't have, I don't have the fancy editions. I wasn't like setting out miniatures everywhere either. That would have taken even longer. Um, and there's a few other small complaints we can get to, but overall, what did you think? It's it's an interesting experience. I, I really like the mechanics in his games that I've seen previously in that kind of 
Civ genre of games. And as you mentioned, when you think Civ, I think you generally you kind of get pulled towards that kind of 4X game mechanic. But that's not true of you know all Civ games. It's, there's many different ways in which you can play Civ games. And this is just another one that is based on, at least how it felt, is a large component of the game is just collections. Yeah. And it's not set collections necessarily, but, you know, the board is seeded with all of these different tokens that represent primarily, you know, things, trade tokens that you can kind of utilize throughout the game, and it provides money and support. And then towards the end of the game, which was one of the other things, is the buildings that towards the end benefit you for scoring points based upon the trade tokens that you have available for you that you've collected throughout the game. And then there's just like one-time bonuses that you're also able to collect. So the board itself is not so much about creating and developing and expanding a civilization as much as it is opportunities to get the tokens that you need to collect certain sets so that you can gain those kind of end game bonuses and also an area control mechanic. So the area control mechanic, which again is, you know, classic and traditional to Civ games, is also here too, but it did feel also here too. It was not the focus, which again is good because you mentioned, Anthony, you could go a different way. When you and I played this game, I went a different way because of reasons, you know, along with my player powers and what was available and so forth and so on. I don't know if you can win that game without paying full attention to the area control because you do score so many points. But there is a lot of variability in this game, and I think you mentioned because of the length. How the game ends has certain, you know, how would you say it, like markers to it. You have to, like, you know, do all this. You need to do all this. This has to be empty. This deck has to be empty. So, like, throughout the game, you're like, okay, so when is, you know, when is this, you know, Civ game going to wrap up? And also, there's cards in the deck that trigger those scoring phases. And again, those can be kind of random based upon they're seated, they're in there, but you never really know, which is fun, but also gives you no general sense of, of game length or when you should be wrapping up, when you should be focusing on certain things. So it is a somewhat loose sandbox of a Civ game which is not a critique. It's not a critical, bad kind of thing about the game. But at the same time, you should understand what kind of experience you're getting when you come into the game, which is a very open sandbox opportunity, almost a point salad kind of situation. Mm. Because you can get money from a number of different sources. You can score points from a number of different sources. You can get bonuses from a number of different sources. And most of the game is all about doing that yeah so i don't know it, it it is it is everything it needs to be and it is some things that it's should be or could be or again if we're talking civ games i feel it could or needs to be maybe some of that stuff is is dealt with with the expansion that i think we'll talk about at the end a little bit but it's 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 very loose you're only taking one one action a turn so it's not that bad but it is a very loose open game yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I like it for that, but I also like point salad games where I can just kind of go in whatever direction sure. and I'm getting points no matter what I do. Um, that constant feedback loop. Sure. Um, and that that's the cool thing too. Like, 
Drew, who we were playing with, and I were two points away from each other at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. We took very different paths. I put a lot of military on the map. I scored a lot of points on the map. I also took a lot of money from the tax and tariff actions, sure. which gives you negative points. You get unrest, which is negative points. But you can use money as resources, so I just did that. I just bought everything. <laughs> I didn't worry. I didn't build an engine for anything. Sure. I was just like, I'm just going to get a ton of cash, and I'm going to go on the board, and I'm just going to keep putting stuff on the board that way. Um, whereas he did build an engine, both points and resources in his tableau, and got again, essentially the same score, right? Sure. So two very different paths. And I like that. I like when you can play a game, especially a Civ game, because often Civ games end up being balanced more in one direction than another, especially sure. military. They're almost always balanced towards military, um, which drives me crazy. And it does feel like you could win going any direction here. Like you just want to do straight trade goods with the map, or you want to do straight like building a tableau and focus on project cards. I think you could win either way. Yeah, I think I think the challenge for me here thematically as far as how the game plays out, is when I think Civ games, I think a development process, right? A growth, an evolution, and everything here is always available. So all the resources on the board is are always available. You can, with the, with very few exceptions, you can, you can build your cities and you can land your troops and you can put your stuff almost anywhere on the board at all times. And the same thing is true with the technologies that you build. A few of them have, you know, prerequisites, but the prerequisites are not like technologically prerequisites for that specific. It's like, do you have two symbols of a thing before you build this card? Yeah. So it's not like you started with, I don't know, you started in the Bronze Age and then you worked your way up. This is very much like, hey, you have writing and then you have you know, farming, and then you have woodcrafting, and just, like, again, everything there. So from a Civ game, from my perspective, I was hoping that there would be some progression that I would I would feel throughout the whole thing, instead of it was, like, everything at all times is available to you, and really, it's in some ways, it's a race, because there's so many different bonuses from the government to some of the, you know, if you have enough technologies, if you have some of the the bonus areas, the blue cards, and, and, and enough of the symbols, then you just have to race to get those. And again, there's a lot of ways of doing that too. So again, it's good in far it's good in that fact, but it's challenging in the other way that it doesn't prescribe a certain pathway. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Mm-hmm. Like there there are certainly limitations here because of how it's designed, but the openness makes it more accessible, I think, than a lot of oh, other yeah. civilization games. Um how accessible can a civilization game really be is the main question, but... Yeah, I think in this game, too, I think anyone who's... I mean, anyone who plays games, board games, and has never played a Civ game, this is a great gateway Civ game in the fact that, like, you're just taking one action. And there's so many goals, goal tiles out there available for you, and they're very, like just streamline as far as what you need to do you need to have x number of this or x number of that and then there's so many opportunities on the board to collect those things that it's really a it's a great civ gateway game i don't mean a gateway game i mean like a civ gateway game like once you're a gamer and then you're like you know what i really want to play a civ gateway game i think i would highly recommend that for this yeah i I would agree with that i think it's definitely in there um so the, the major complaint, then, 
Like, those are, you know, gameplay quibbles, but, like, the major complaint, the thing that we're like, what the heck? What the heck, bro? Is, <laughs> it, it does that annoying thing, because this was a Kickstarter, there's Deluxe Edition, the Colossus Edition, and then, like, a Medium Deluxe Edition, the Sphinx Edition. This is retail. Um, but the retail edition is missing a score track. <laughs> and you know what? A lot of people will be like, oh, not every game has a score track. I'm like, true. But usually games that don't have score tracks are games that you only score at the end of the game. Exactly. You score multiple times in this game throughout the game. We we pulled out the score track for Terra Nova. And Thank you, Terra Nova. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is it's just stupid. You you can't really defend it. It's a dumb thing. It's a you dumb should thing. never do that. Nope. There is a score track in the deluxe editions of the game, which makes it even dumber. It that is. They removed it. It's a seventy dollar game. It's not like it was like forty bucks and they really streamlined it down. It's like no, it's still a seventy dollar game. There's no score track. And there's a lot of things to score. Yeah. So it's not just as you mentioned, Anthony. This game has scoring throughout the game, and not just at the end of the game, but there's different types of scoring in this game. So it's not just like, count, you know, what points do you have? 10, I have 12, okay, great. I have 15, you have 12, things like that. It's legitimately like, you scored points for this, 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 and this. Like there's like five or six different, yeah. if not more, <laughs> areas yeah. in which you score. Yeah, no, I had, to, I had to slow everybody down a couple times at the end because people were just bouncing around to the different scoring categories. It, it felt like a feld, right? Like, yeah, I did. scored points from these six things. Um, it's, it's, I'd say it's a small quibble, but it's really not. It's kind of annoying having paid for the game, but it doesn't impact the gameplay itself once you find a solution. You just have to find a score track somewhere or write it down on a piece of paper. And have to, and I think you, like you mentioned, Anthony, you had to run through the scoring from the rule book. Yeah. With... Yeah, yeah. It wasn't... And a lot of things were not printed or clearly communicated on the board. This yes. was another complaint we had of... Like, sometimes when you empty out a space, there was no information on that space. Like, once you've used all the cards, it was, sure. like, printed in small text somewhere else. Um, and then, like, some of the, like, the walking through different modes or, or parts of the round wasn't clearly labeled. Mm -hmm. Like, basic graphic design stuff and design elements, you're just like, you could just have done this and it would make it much clearer. Whereas we had to keep referencing the book. You know, there was no player aids. There's multiple, there's eight different actions you can take in the game. So people took pictures of the back of the book so they could remember what those actions were sure. for the first half of the game. That's silly. It should be written down somewhere. You should have a player aid or something. Little stuff like that. Like, why did you do it that way? <laughs> I honestly, I, I, I mean, I don't feel like it's little stuff. Because again, I mean, I, I think considering the fact that they had produced the score track they had produced other kind of resources to make the game more playable and then did not have that available for the base set is, I think, I think it's a serious problem because again, it's not a one-time scoring game. It's not, there is so many different things on the board that it is very hard to lose track of where everything is at. Yeah. And there is a number of areas in which you can score. I think even early on, we were we were like looking at the governments, and we're like, "Oh, that's right, that's a thing." Yeah, <laughs> just like because there's so many things to pay attention to that you're tracking, and again, so much of this game is a race, yeah. just you know, to gain, you know, the most of a thing, the set collections that you need to, in order to score, or the number of troops or buildings that you need on the map. Which again, Anthony, I think is the other thing too. Now, this is a little bit of a nitpick. I agree. I think the board is too busy. And I think it's I think throughout the game it was hard to easily visualize who had control, what was available because 
the the artwork itself is beautiful. I love the I love the board. I love the mosaic kind of look to the countries and to the waters and stuff like that. But it does blur. If you take a look at that water, it really makes it harder to kind of easily pick it up. And then all of the tiles on the board also make it a little difficult. And then with the base level, the retail level, the cities and the monuments and everything else, the military, they're also tokens. So when you look at the board, it's a it's a it's a flood of tokens. And some of the colors, the player colors that come into play, the text pops better than others. Like on the board itself, where there's like some of the rules and instructions, it's a very dull, you know, beige on top of a brown, which I get. They're trying to go with that kind of aesthetic, but it's kind of hard to read. I, I would have liked to had some of those things pop a little bit better, but I think the retail version of this was just underproduced and yeah. underthought, undercooked. I would agree. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how it got done. We've seen this with several other games where like sometimes they remove stuff. Sometimes they're just trying to get the cost down. Sure. It, it's not clear why, but it hurts the functionality of the game. And yeah. I think that's a shame because it's a very good game. Right. And I, and I, when I played this game and like, I, I was just like, I've played so many Civ games and I played so many of his Civ games before. And I'm like the big, biggest fan of, of them. And I was just like, I don't understand. It's it's just, it's it's unnecessarily challenging in areas and places where it didn't need to be. So much so that we were like looking at the super deluxe version, which I guess maybe is the reason that you kind of. I don't believe that's the reason why he would undercook the the, the retail version. No, but no, like thinking about the expensive version, not out of like, oh, this would be fun, this would be amazing, but as as far as like, I feel like I could actually play this game long term if I did have the upgraded version, just because it would be easier, more functional to play, like a score track, like, like, so you know, military on the board that you can make out instead of just being like, they kind of blur into the water, you know, like how many, how, what, who has control of that area? I don't know. Let's count up the 20 different tokens that are surrounded by 10 other tokens. I don't, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of little stuff like that. It's, it's annoying. I, for me, the game, the retail version of the game is a play. I w- it, I'd be hard-pressed to recommend going spending $70 and having all these little issues that are going to be a headache. If you love the game, you can fix those things. You can print out player aids. You can find a score track. You can build stuff. like. And I'm sure people will write in and tell us that. And it's sure. not wrong, but you shouldn't have to do any of that. You're paying $70 for a game. Yeah, and it's already um, been produced other places. So it's not like it's not like a small box game and they couldn't fit it. It's like they right. legitimately produced it for their other versions. Uh, exactly, yeah. So, like, and for me, example, like, I want to play the solo version. It's only in the premium editions. I have to print all the stuff out. It's really annoying. <laughs> like, I still paid $70 for a game. Um, so, it's a funny thing where, like, it's a play, but then I'm also tempted to just go get the big one before it goes out of print. Sure. Which is stupid, I know. But I think it would be a buy for me with all the extra stuff, which is rare. Like, I really didn't think it'd be an issue here. Um, it really is an issue. I don't usually have the FOMO after the campaign is over. But in this case, I'm like, man, those miniatures would make it easier to see stuff. And I'd love a score track and the solo mode would be fun. <laughs> like, sure. uh, So it is still available to do. You can mm-hmm. back through their late pledge thing. They still have copies available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have the expansion Wars and Disasters, which adds new wonders and new towns and new leaders and all that good stuff. But it also has naval units. So you can have military on the ocean. Sure. Um, 
it also adds disaster cards, so events, effectively, that'll kind of mess with the map a little bit in between rounds, which is cool. I always like that in Civ games. Um, a bunch of new tech cards and some new building cards. Um, not a ton of new content, but the even if they just given me like a small deck of disaster cards, event cards, I think that'd be cool. So I'm tempted. Uh, it's a lot of money, so I probably won't do it, but I, I am tempted to, to do the upgrade. Yeah, you can get everything online on Kickstarter. Is, like you said, the late pledges while they last. $279 for everything. Ah, everything, everything, so everything, everything. It's a lot of money. It's a very good game, and I'm really happy to have the opportunity to play it. I'm glad that he released a Civilization game. I think it's a shame that those production elements have brought the game down. And while it wasn't thematically for me what a Civ game should in my in my in my appreciation should feel like and play like i did really enjoy it i would want to play this again i think again anthony if it wasn't for the enormous setup and breakdown i would have talked you into playing this again yeah we almost played it like, again like when we we stopped at a game store on the way home and they had the colossus edition we almost pulled it out and I, set it up yeah i was just like we should play this again because now we you know again i think I think there's just I think the production holds this down to play for me as well. I would Yeah. I looked at that and again it's a very large box because of all the plastic so that comes along in the game. But I think it's one of those situations where for me, visualizing the game state at a quick glance, I think is, is essential because the more players that you have in the game, the more variety of player tokens that are on the board and they move. And, and since you're not growing from a particular country, which was weird with this game, because you start with a quote-unquote city-state, and then it doesn't matter. It does, That didn't matter. That was It wasn't really a right. thing. You, you got an asymmetrical power person, that leader, that came along with it, but was not connected to it. You got to choose from that. So it gets a play for me. It's, again, like I said, I think it's, a, it's an exceptionally good gateway civilization game for people who have not played that or are looking for a sandbox kind of situation. But I just can't recommend it as a buy because I think there's so many pieces missing from that base level. If you want to go to the highest level, I think you'll enjoy it very much. I do think there are still better... I don't think this is the best Civ game out there. I think yeah. there are better Civ games out there. I think this is a good one. I think this will stick around for sure. But this is missing some of the basic elements in the retail version. The Super Deluxe Edition, I would love to have the opportunity to play it. I would maybe even go out of my way to play it just so I can experience that kind of, you know, understanding and feel of the game in the way that it was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with all that. All right. So, Anthony, what else did we play that weekend? Yeah. So, uh, the other game we played. I mean, we played a bunch of games, but another game we played is Woodcraft, um, which uh, was the new one from Vladimir Suchi and Delicious Games. Also working with Ross Arnold, um, whose credits involve Woodcraft. So <laughs> it's the first game working on for him. Um, this game is all about crafting different types of things out of wood. You're like little weird fairy doll people. I'm not really sure what they're supposed to be. Um, living in the scary. forest. They're scary. That, they're, they're the s- word you were looking for was Uncanny Valley? Yeah, scary dead eyes. That's what we want to call them. <laughs> Uncanny Valley, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's creepy. I don't, like, I don't mind the art direction. I think it's cool. It's all, like, forest. You're in, like, a little wood sh- workshop in the woods, and the trees are pretty, but the people are creepy. 
It's so creepy. Um, so the core mechanism of this game is you have this kind of a rondellish type thing where you have seven action tiles that are lined up in a quadrant, and you can pick any action tile you want, and you move it forward to the first or last available space in the next quadrant. Um, if a tile is so far ahead that it can't move into the next space without running into the original tiles, then you can't. You take that action. It does happen. It happened a lot, actually, at the end of the game. Um, after the first round or two, then you get a bonus for taking some of the actions, and then old actions that haven't been taken in a while have a really good bonus on top of that from the wheel. Um, the things you're doing with those actions are you can upgrade a tile on your board. Um, your tiles let you do things like glue um, wood together, uh, grow more wood. You have little pots that can grow more stuff. You can cut things, so you can cut the wood. And when I say the wood, what I mean is the dice. There's green, yellow, and brown dice that correspond to different types of wood. Green being more common and cheaper, and brown being rarer and more expensive. Um, you you start the game with one pot for a green wood, and you can use the upgrade action to get the yellow and brown pot. Um, those actions are fairly important, I think. I, I don't think we realized that in our first play, but in subsequent plays, it's it's pretty clear that you, you really need to get those pots in the first third or so of the game so that you're producing wood and not just buying it every time, because money can be tight. Um, the money itself is little blueberry tokens, which is cute. Uh, these are used for a lot of the different actions. Like, you'll use it to do most of your upgrades. You'll use it to, uh, to take various actions. You can buy dice, for example. You sell one die, you buy another die. You can just buy from a common pool that's on the main board. Um, there's little resources that you need for various actions. The glue, the wood, and the saw blades um, that can enable you to take these other actions, like the cutting and the gluing. Um, and so you kind of have to manage all that resource-wise and resources they're tight, but not super tight. As long as you're completing contracts, you have enough stuff most of the time to get what you want to get done. Um, there's also, like, the roof of your workshop has, this, like, spaces for these different types of tools that you can get. This is a whole other mechanism where you take tools and you place them down. And every time you surround something with tools, you get that bonus. Um, I did this in my first play, and it was really good for me, but only after I got, like, six or seven tools. Whereas if you only get two or three, it really does nothing. So you really have to go all in on the tools or ignore it completely. I'm never a huge fan of that kind of mechanic. Like, I want everything to be viable to do something. I don't like feeling like I have to go super hard into one thing for it to be useful. Sure. But that's, you know, I did it and it was fun, but it's it's the same time. I was like, man. I did um, the in-between and it was bad. <laughs> yeah, don't do the in-between. <laughs> the There are helpers you can pick up. These are, they give you some kind of ability right away after you buy them. Um, sometimes it's like an instant you get a thing. So, like I had one that just gave me one free upgrade. Uh, sometimes it's like an ongoing ability. So it makes certain actions cheaper. They also have a production ability that if you get little, the cog icon, you can choose which things produce. These are generally not very good. So I ignored it mostly. Like they can be strategically helpful. Like I need $2. Well, I have production for two dollars i'll use that um but it's not i don't know it's not super helpful i don't think um and then lastly you have your contracts that you're completing right you start the game with four in hand you're going to put one out each of the four like income rounds uh and you can get more of them as well 
So the first time we played, the winning player completed 11 contracts. So they picked up seven additional. I completed seven, so I picked up three additional. Um, they beat me pretty soundly. So I think you know more contracts is always good in a game like this. Uh, and the contracts will have usually some combination of dice, very specific die faces. You have to have those in your supply. And you do that by like either buy them or you grow them and then you cut them. So you can use your saw blades to cut them down to where they need to be. Um, so the game is like, you have to keep a lot of going on in your head and try to keep track of like, all right, I'm going to need this combination of dice at these particular values. So I need to get this number of pips total into my supply somehow. And then I need to have this many cuts available or this much glue available to put them into the right permutation to complete these contracts. And that's really what it comes down to. It's like, if you think about it in any other way, I think you just get tangled up because that's what happened to me for the first half of the game. And then I was like, oh, just count up the pips and make sure I have enough saw blades, um, which I think is what Drew was doing. It's, I don't, I've played it now like two, three times. And I don't know that I really, I get it. I get the game. It makes sense. And it flows smoothly enough. But there's too many actions that feel like this isn't really a viable path to victory. It's just a conditional action that can be helpful to boost my efforts. Right? So, like, tools, for example. Like, it either, you either get all the icons, you get things to give you tools, or you don't. But if you get a couple, that sucks, because that's a reward that now does nothing for you. Um, the little red seal icons that you need to move up on the track to make your contracts actually worth something at the end of the game, because they're not worth anything at the start, the completing them at the end of the game. You get points when you complete them, but at the end, they're worth a lot more if you move up that track. I only got up to where they were worth two each, but the winning player got up to where they were worth six each. So he scored 66 points at the end of the game from his contracts. I scored 14. Um, that's And that's, it's good to know, but then you have to find those icons. They have to be available in the market. So, And those icons, too, I think it's important to say it's not like you get an icon and it goes from one to two to two to three. It goes one space, space, two space, 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 three space, space, four. So like you need a lot of those icons. It's not, yeah. it's just not like one or two, like they're worth more there. It is an investment strategy. It's not just something that you get along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And those cards tend to be a little bit worse in terms of the, the rewards you get in-game, too. So then you got to be even more efficient with your actions. Yes. Um, and if you don't complete a contract between rounds, and the rounds work the same as, like, Underwater <laughs> Cities, where you'll get, like, four turns, and then a round's over, then four turns, and a round's over, then Production three, then three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you don't complete them, they move down and become worth less. And yes. eventually they become worth nothing, and they go away, and they cost you points. So... That, it didn't happen to any of us. I don't think any of us lost a contract, but it could happen if you were not careful. Um, I, I I don't know. I'll let you talk for a little bit before I give my final thoughts, but I, I think you can hear my voice where I'm at. It's a challenging game to kind of, as you mentioned, Anthony, to wrap your head around because you do have to keep a lot of things in mind because you have to build... The, the dice up, which I think is an, an extraordinarily brilliant idea from Ross Arnold and Vladimir Succi that we, yeah. we, we have D6s and they're typically wooden dice. And the idea that you could cut that 
quote unquote would and get, let's say, if it was a six, two threes, or a four and two, or a five and one. Mm-hmm. Genius. Like, how did we not think about taking a die and breaking it up into like smaller components as you would do it would? And there's another level that you can actually glue the pips back together again. Yeah, I love that. And it's such a smart idea. And I'm just like, damn it, this is just brilliant. And again, like you mentioned, the the Woodcrafting Valley kind of situation, it's it's very it's very unique and fun and and blueberries as money is kind of cute and stuff like that. Put aside the uncanny valley people because, you know, that happens in artwork. It's it's someone's idea. Mechanically, there are two areas that I that are challenging. One is the wheel. Now, as as when we played the game, I know you've played it several times. I only have played it the once. Going in third, I was like, clearly, since these are actions that are selected and then become less valuable or not valuable at all, I should be getting things. I should be getting some sort of compensation. There wasn't. And I think the first player kind of stayed the first player throughout the game. So I was always choosing last. And a lot of the required actions that you need to start early in the game, like building the tr- planting the trees, is essential for your success because what I was doing is purchasing dice, Anthony, as you mentioned, because almost always that upgrade action was always pushed to the limit. Now, what I needed to do, or what they could have done with the player order, is if you're going second, third, or fourth, whatever it is, you should be given extra lanterns so that you can reactivate something that might be blocked up at the time. Right. Um, and I think the other challenging part of the game, too, is that the contracts that you get in that kind of like initial draft, so to speak, like you give, you're given a, a bunch of, of contracts, different types of things that you can put into play. As you mentioned, some of them are the red seals. Some of them are worth more of this, that, and the other. I get it. Like that's just some general randomness of all games, but considering that the, the red leaf seal kind of thing is so essential for your final points. I think that like, those should be given equally throughout. And some of the contracts were simple to complete and didn't give much, but that was the contract you had to play for that round. You could purchase other contracts, but that takes up an essential action of gameplay. So, and then again, as you mentioned, the tools is either very much an all or nothing kind of thing. You must build plants as early as possible so that they generate dice for you to use in the game. I love all the different elements in this game, especially I love games that have, you know, asymmetrical boards with player powers that you're able to create your own engine. So I love the assistance that come into play and being able to select them. And I did that, you know, that was primarily my strategy there, but they were also not really as efficient. There's a bunch of spots and opportunities where you can activate your gears, which allows you to activate the people on your board but they're not essential for victory. If you if you plant the trees early, you have dice, you have the saws available for you to, to cut the dice, you get fortunate with the contracts that you pick, then you're able to do things. Everything else is secondary to that. Um, I wish the people had more of a substantial role. I wish when you, you did the gear action, they all activated, because other than their one-time bonuses, they weren't giving you a lot. It was like, Here's a couple of blueberries. Here's a, you know, a thing of glue 
or a temporary saw blade or something might be. But all of the elements separately are fantastic. I think how they come together is challenging because I think it's somewhat, I almost want to say that it is on rails. I think you do need to do X, Y, and Z, first, second, and third. Otherwise, you're behind the eight ball to begin with. And that was challenging for me. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, like, my score was respectable when I did the tool thing. Mm-hmm. But the tool thing, even, like, being able to get nine tools out was almost also random luck. Because the contracts that have the tool rewards on them need to come out. And so I just kept taking them. Bonus it's is- not like I could just choose to take tools. That wasn't an action. Yeah. I needed bonus- to make as you mentioned, Anthony, like the bonuses at the end of the game, one of them was like having enough tools. Yeah. And then you had to invest in doing that. Which again, some of that stuff is random is what comes out. And then having to be able to, you know, use an action to gain that particular end game bonus is not unusual. A lot of games have it. Terraform Mars has it. But then like either have it or you don't. And then you get points or you don't. Right, yeah, those contracts can be brutal because if somebody beats it, you to it by a round, and you're like, "Great, no, I can't score at all." So, <laughs> it's just... I I think your review is exactly how I'm feeling about this. Like, I want to like it a lot more than I do because so many of the ideas are very clever. Like mm-hmm. thematically, it's really fun. I love the cutting of the dice. It's just fun to do. It's fun to say. It is I'm cutting this dice like it's crazy. It's it's almost like a visceral thing. You're like you can feel it. Like I'm cutting it down. It's great. Um. But mechanically, yeah, it just doesn't quite <laughs> glue together uh, yeah. as well as it could. Yeah, um, the, sum, the sum of the parts is certainly better than the whole here. Yeah, yeah, I, and I don't know how you fix any of that. It just might be that know. this particular combination doesn't work. But it's it's a light play for me. I I'm glad I like I said I played it a few more times, so I, I don't hate it. Like I wanted to figure it out, I guess. Um, but it's not a game I would recommend picking up. Um, on its own merits. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Suchi. I've talked about him up and down, and just again, this was such an innovative idea for a game. I love the aesthetics of the game. I love the mechanics of the game, and this kind of feels like um, Pragna Ragni, um, his other game, where again you have that big circular action board, very similar kind of mechanic. Then you have opportunities to score different points in different areas i just don't think it fully comes together and and that kind of breaks my heart because i really this should be my game of the year like there's just no question about it the theme is there the innovative dice mechanic is there the selection of workers to create your own engine is there i i don't i i don't know again it just and again even when you play it we we play so many Euro games that, you know, a lot of people criticize as being like, uh, you know, a game that's just solitaire, right? Like, yeah. this did feel very much like that. Like, you took your action, and then you huddled around your board as you manipulated the dice 20 different ways. I cut this, I plant this, I glue this together, I move this over here, and then, like, and then you're like, what is he doing? Like, I have no idea. And he's like, and I completed a contract. And you're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> like, was it magic? I don't, I don't, I don't know yeah. what happened there. Like, it's a lot of manipulation in a small area on your own player board, and it doesn't really happen anywhere else. And 
you know, you move up on tracks. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, like, sometimes in those games, you're like, slow down and tell me what you did. But, like, if you did that this game, it would take four hours. Yeah, and it's a lot of mental calculation. I think you, as you started the, the review, Anthony, that's just a lot of stuff that's happening in your head as far as, yeah. like, I'll cut this, I'll move this, I'll, I'll dice this, I'll, you know, I'll glue this back together, I'll plant this, and this populates here, and then I'll be able to complete that contract. And it's just like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I believe you. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. I don't, there's no possible way to follow that, and I have no idea <laughs> how you got there, but sure, that's good, good for you. Maybe, I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> it, it gets a play for me. It's it's a light play. I, I would certainly like to play this again now that you, as we kind of uncover certain certain strengths and weaknesses of the game. So it kind of lends itself to a little bit more functional gameplay. But I do feel that there is certain gaps and certain chance slash randomness that doesn't really inspire me to pick this game up right like you know there's so many games with contract completion but this one felt a little painfully light in that and that's usually something i love to do you know get resources to complete contracts yeah all right so that's everything that hit the table now on to our feature review our feature review this week is talking about the hotness the super hotness for february 2023 we take a look at BGG's hotness, and we talk about it, because, man, it is super hot. <laughs> hot, hot. So hot. hot. Burning my fingers. Woo! Uh, all right, so how we do this, if you're new to this segment, is we have the BGG hotness, boardgamegeek.com slash hotness. It's 50 games. Um, we start at 50 and work our way back up to one, and I talk about anything that I think is interesting. So we're not going to go through all 50 games, because some of these games are just here every single time that we do this. And there's no interesting or exciting reason for them to be there. Um, but if there is an interesting reason or the game is new, I will bring it up. There you go. All right. So, so now number... we'll talk about the water cooler on Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those hot games. Did you, did you see the game last week? No. But did you have any idea that Beyond the Sun is on the hotness list again? <laughs> why? Like, why? Well, you should listen to Board Gamers Anonymous. <laughs> They'll tell you why. There you go. Uh, all right, so first up at number 50 is Molly House. This is uh, designed by Joseph Kelly. It's going to be released by Whirligig Games, which is Cole Whirly's company. Um, and it's a 2021 Zenobia Award finalist. So the Zenobia Awards um, famously kind of elevating games about historical elements that are more careful and considerate about how they address the history of things. It's not just colonial nonsense. Um, so this is a game in which you are uh, playing a gender-defying queers, known as Mollies, who are regulars at a Molly house in 1720s. And so you're trying to work together to put on festivities while also evading the notice of the moralizing constables of the society for the reformation of manners. Um, competitive game with cooperative elements. Sounds really interesting. Um, all those Zenobia games sound really interesting. It's exciting to see some of them get picked up by publishers and coming out um, in the relative near future. Nice. Uh, moving up the list, uh, number 48, Toledum. We reviewed this a couple weeks ago. Chris, mm -hmm. you gave it a play, right? I did. I like the game. Yeah, so check that out if you like Chris's review. I like Ooh. the game as well. I have a copy. Ooh. Um, found 47 is Foundations of Rome. This keeps floating around here even though nobody can buy it anywhere. So, 
Talk about I, giant boxes of stuff. You say floating, but I, I feel like it's it's floating See? like the sun. It's like the gravitational pull, <laughs> the weight of that physical game is so heavy yeah. that it just draws everything in. <laughs> there was, when we were at PAX, I was waiting over by the Arcane Wonders booth, and some guy bought the Emperor Edition, which yeah. comes just in a big white box. Yeah. And then he carried it over to the side of the booth and put it down and then looked really confused. Like, <laughs> what do I do with this box? And he was on the phone for like five minutes and just by himself there with his giant box. He needed a wheelbarrow to get it out of there. <laughs> uh, looks like a good game, though. I'd like to play it. Uh, yeah, same here. Uh, all right. 46 is Beyond the Sun. Like you mentioned, uh, there's an expansion coming for this game, which nice. I'm super excited about. It wasn't clear if they were going to do one but it definitely needs one. Oh, absolutely so um, i'm really psyched for that this is one of my top 50 games and i, I really really wanted an expansion yeah i play a ton of it on board game arena so it desperately needs an, an expansion yeah yeah more more content please uh 44 jumping up a little bit we have revive this is a game that is being uh distributed in the u.s by oh there's so many companies doing these i can't remember who picked this up but it got delayed that's what I remember. I think it might be Madigo. Um So I think that might be why it bumped up on the list. But it's a really hot game out of Essen. I'm very excited for it. It's the designers behind um, The Magnificent and Santa Maria. Uh, it looks very good. So I'm excited to play this when it eventually ships. I did pre-order a copy. Um, 42, Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition. Just jumped onto the list. <laughs> this game is awesome. It's in my top 10 for the year. Check it out. Deluxe uh, Edition. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they throw that in there. I don't it's know why. cat in the box. <laughs> it's a good game. It's a really good game. It is very good, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 41 is Flamecraft, which a lot of people named their game of the year for last year. I haven't had a chance to play this yet, but I think I'll wait for the Deluxe to be back in stock. We tried to pick it up, couldn't pick it up at PAX. I heard really good things about it. It's definitely much, much on the lighter scale. Right. Even just looking at the game, it's still even lighter than that. Yeah, it's very light. Um. But it looks cute. Uh, 40 is Marvel United. This is because we have the multiverse campaign currently running on Kickstarter. Oh, no. Yeah. Did you back that yet? I'm still following it. I don't yeah. want to be followed. <laughs> I have to back it to some degree because I want the Fantastic Four oh, stuff. God. So whether you do or not, I am backing this. It's just a matter of how much money I give. Uh, this is another one with the gravitational pull because the boxes are so big. And is it completionist or is it psychosis? I'm not sure which. <laughs> Right. It's something because I'm just like, oh, and another expansion. I'm like, I can't afford another expansion. Stop putting out expansions. I'm going to have to buy them. Oh, why are you doing this? <laughs> stop it. You're killing Please me. Stop it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, we'll come back to that because. Oh, we, we will. We might have back in a We don't want to, but we will. Yeah. Uh, 39, Trekking Through History. I played this earlier last year um, with my kids. Fantastic tableau building. Uh, game with a lot of really fun artwork and history elements mixed in. Um, highly recommended if you have children. Uh, 37 is Hero Realms Dungeons. This is taking the Hero Realms formula, which is the Star Realms formula, and creating a standalone adventure from it. So, uh, it looks interesting. I love that formula. I stopped buying their stuff because they released so much of it, but I do somewhere around here have a long box of all the Hero Realms stuff that came out in that first wave. Um, have still have not played through all of it, but it's really good. I think this is on Kickstarter right now. Oh, is it on there right now? See, mm -hmm. all right. don't look at it, man. No, keep I'm going. Not, don't, no. don't, don't go back, man. Don't. I, I'm not. <laughs> I. Every now and then, I get to a point with the game. I'm like, I have too much content for this. I can't get more, and then I stop. It doesn't happen very often, but like Arkham Horror, I eventually stopped because I'm like, 
I could spend the rest of my life playing this. I will never finish all of it. Uh, 35, Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. It's moving up the list, which is great. Nice. Uh, the Kickstarter finished up months ago, so I think this is just people talking about the game, playing the game. Yeah, they got the game physically in hand. The expansion just went through Kickstarter. The expansion seems to add a lot of things that it needed. Yeah. So I'm sure people are pretty excited about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to skip over a few here that just are on the list all the time. Arkham Horror the Card Game, Cascadia, Sleeping Gods. Uh, 31 is Hoplomachus Victorum. Easy this for is, you to say. Yeah, I, I killed it. I said it. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> uh I say I killed it. I don't actually know if I said that correctly, but it sounded yeah, good. Sure. This is a uh, standalone game from Chip Theory Games, going back to their the thing that they first were known for, which is Hoplomachus. This is solo only, which is interesting. Um, I don't love Hoplomachus. I've, I've played them in the past, but mm-hmm. the people that I know who do love it really, really love it. So uh, I could see it being a hot contender right there. Aeon Trespass Odyssey is number 30. This is one of those big box full of plastic, uh, cooperative, sprawling, everything's going on, cards everywhere type of games. Um, hundreds and hundreds of cards in the box. I I, I don't know. I don't feel qualified to talk about these because all I do is make fun of them and people are like, that game's actually good. I'm like, I believe you. I just don't know what else to say. <laughs> Other than that, there's so much stuff in the box. Uh, Endless Winter, Paleo-Americans, number 28. This is one that everybody was buzzing about at the end of 2022, uh, designed by Stan Kordonsky, who also designed Rurik Dawn of Kiev, which I really like, Um, Dice Hospital, uh, Old West Impresario, some good games. So this is a lightish kind of almost like a Civ builder, but within a specific uh, kind of environment. Tapestry at number 26. Um, we mentioned Expeditions, but alongside that, Jamie also announced the new expansion for Tapestry. Mm-hmm. The third expansion, I think. Yes. And I never went back to this game with any of the expansions. I feel like someday I probably should, because, again, I like Civ Builders. I just didn't think this game was fully cooked. And it, maybe with all the expansions, it is. I don't know. Yeah, I think he kind of owned up to that, because there was a huge errata that came out, and I think right. the expansion was necessary to fix some of the elements of the base game. I guess yeah. this this probably goes even further with that. Right, yeah. So, someday. someday yeah, no, try absolutely. Um, Alright, a couple games here that are, again, are always on the list. We have Root at 25, Gloomhaven, Terraforming Mars. Um, number 22 is ISS Vanguard. So, big, sprawling, outer space, sci-fi adventure from Awakened Realms. So, mm-hmm. you know what you're getting. Finishers. This is... It's Neon... <laughs> We're getting some neon pastel here. That's that type of space game. I just so. want to live to the future to see the the neon pastels that are going to be on all yeah. spaceships. <laughs> I love it, man. I don't. You're crazy. It's good stuff. Uh, Remind next me up, next time I come over your house and repaint all of your Star Wars. No, 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 no. No one said paint my stuff. <laughs> it's the future, man. You just paint other people's stuff in the future. Okay. Pastels. Pastels are in. Yeah. Someday. Oh, that's my daughter. She's the artist. There you go. Uh, Guards of Atlantis 2. This is a tabletop MOBA. So team-based board game, competitive team versus team, bunch of heroes, definitely not in my wheelhouse. Almost sounds like something in your wheelhouse, but we would need the people to play it. Um, 
but it's up here at number 20. Uh, number 19, The Search for Lost Species. This is uh, a new game on Kickstarter right now from Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett, who designs a bunch of stuff, but most recently Guild of Merchant Explorers, which I really like. Um, this is a follow-up, not a re-implementation of The Search for Planet X, but now you're like on Earth, I think, searching for animals, which is kind of a cool theme. Um, number 17, Europa Universalis, The Price of Power. So this is a big, sprawling, epic tabletop game. Um, we saw this way back in the day at Gen Con, I want to say like five, six years ago. So I guess it's finally getting to people's tables. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, 15, Tapestry, Fantasies, and Futures. This is that expansion we mentioned for Tapestry. Uh, so new civs, cards, cities, inspired by, this time, fantasy and science fiction. So we're going, not that this was like based on the real world, but now it's really not based on the real world. Uh, Federation at number 14. This is like an under-the-radar-ish hot game um, out of Essen that has kind of bubbled up more and more uh, because it is... I think it was announced as being published by Eagle Griffin Games. They're doing a... You can pre-order only the Deluxe Edition. If you're in North America, you can only order the Deluxe, which is annoying, but it's not crazy expensive, so it's not terrible. Uh, number 13 is Cosmic Frog, which is just a ridiculous fever dream of a game. I, I have played this. Um, a friend back in Pittsburgh, Michael, loves this game. Um, you play two-mile-high frogs trying to control uh, these different shards of a star in some galaxy. It's crazy. It's trippy. But it's actually pretty good, and has some interesting mechanics mixed in, in terms of like map management. Uh, Frostpunk, the board game at number 12. City survival game. Uh, definitely not up my alley in terms of theme or anything, but a lot of people who it is up their alley are really enjoying this. I've seen a lot of posts about it. Number 10 is Horseless Carriage, the new one from Splatter, which is being held hostage uh, by the Port of Seattle and Fun Again Games. So hopefully that gets released soon and shipped because I know my copy is in the United States. I just want it to get here so I can play it. Number 9 is Dwellings of Eldervale, which I don't think there's any news there. I think it's just up there because of Andromeda's Edge. Yeah, it'd be nice if they drop some more supply, but just saying. Yeah, just seriously. Come on play that for a little bit in between um next up we have lofoten this is uh designed by sebastian dujardin who worked on trois and tournay and deus and black angel and honestly i think this wasn't on here for a bittersweet reason um i'm sure it's a good game it's new but pearl games uh previously owned by asmodee they're shutting down their studio and kind of splitting off to do their own thing but not as the same entity it's not really clear how it's going to break down but you know, their relationship with Asmodee's ending and they're closing their studio. So this is their last release under that banner. Um, some brilliant games out of them, so it's a, a shame to see that close down. Uh, number six is Ark Nova, of course. Number five, Lord of the Rings Adventure Book Game, which I talked about last week, is my acquisition disorder, like a light family weight adventure game in Lord of the Rings universe. Number four is Frosthaven, of course. Uh, number three, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, re-implementation of Flamme Rouge uh, with race cars. I, I did bite the bullet and picked up a copy of this, so I'm looking forward to playing it because I really do like Flamme Rouge. 
Um, and then number two and number one, we already talked about as our acquisition disorders. Number two, Andromeda's Edge, and number one, Expeditions. So probably the, the two hottest games, at least for pre-order right now. Um, Andromeda's Edge isn't coming out until next year, but Expeditions is almost certainly going to be like one of the best-selling games of the year, I would imagine. Super hot, man. Super hot. Yeah. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.